Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the People's Medicine Show. I'm the host, Sean. I'm a herbalist. Uh, let's begin the show with some music from Lucas Nelson. That was Lucas Nelson. That's Turn Off the News. That's his um, live version on that I found on YouTube. So let's begin the show. I'll, if you've never heard the show before, this is on the Susan Weed uh, podcast feed, available at uh, blogtalkradio.com backslash Susan Weed. It's also available on podcast uh, services with the name uh, Ask Herbal Expert Susan Weed. Uh, Susan's on every Tuesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and I do this show on the first Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. 
So it is a call-in show. If you'd like to call in, uh, 646-929-2463, press 1, and that would place you in the queue. You can also listen to the show with that call-in number, 646. I can't read it. It's uh, on a... Funny the way that they choose on um, on websites and you know phones when they make text uh, like a dark blue on a gray background makes it very uh, who really makes these choices of making things easily uh, readable? But it is uh, the calling number is six four six nine two nine two four six three. So if you're listening live, you're always welcome to call in to either listen or to interject, start a new conversation, start a new topic, or help me to produce the show. So last month, I uh, ended the show early. I blocked out a couple of hours for the show, and I ended the show, I think it said I was on the line for an hour and 17 minutes, and I had a couple of things that I didn't get to that I don't know why I bailed early. <laughs> I think I... Uh, failed doing the show for two months, so I took like two months off, and when I came back, I guess I was a little bit shy. I noticed when I come show up once a month and keep doing the show, I just keep getting better, but if I miss a month, I get rusty and I get a little shy and want to get off. Uh, so I've done a bullet point list of things I'd like to share and talk about tonight. So I'd like to begin with some of the I guess, old business that I didn't really get to last month. So I was, um, I listened to a Periscope, live Periscope that comes on, I think it's 8, 8 a.m. Eastern, I think every day of the week, and it's Scott Adams, the cartoonist for Dilbert. And I really enjoy just the tone of his voice and his relaxed uh, tone, <laughs> quote, tone, and we're going to talk a little bit about uh, people's tone later, or I'm going to talk about what I can understand about uh, tone of and being perceived by your tone. But Scott has a real easy, peaceful tone. He often would remind me when I used to commute to work on the bus, when you'd find a seat partner when you're on the way to work and Perhaps you both read some newspaper articles for that day and you just start talking about the current events of the day. And that's what Scott's Periscope slash YouTube slash podcast reminds me of. And I don't know, like Scott is really into um, persuasion and rhetoric. And I'm not sure if he's uh, a proponent of Donald Trump or whether he's just playing devil's advocate. And he often seems very much a pro-President Trump person. And I still kind of enjoy the show because I feel challenged by his choice of uh, rhetoric and the persuasion techniques that he's employing to um, prop up uh, our president, even though um, most of the other major media outlets are very much um, not um, acknowledging anything good that Donald Trump um, does and I think there was news uh, this week of an ABC News person who was fired for admitting that um, yes um, that ABC News had a policy of not discussing anything positive about uh, Donald Trump and it was with a hidden camera like investigative reporter and 
So, I, you know, it, it is kind of funny, though, that, uh, like, I kind of feel like I'll watch a, or listen to a little bit news, and then I just need to see the opposite. So perhaps that's the need that Scott Adams fulfills, that I'd like to hear. Okay, let me hear from someone who likes President Trump, and perhaps I can uh, – you know, find what I what I actually think in uh, listening to both sides of an argument or a discussion. Or, um, but Scott um, um, did a show last month at the beginning of last month, and he wrote a book called uh, "How to How to Win Bigly." I don't know. He, he discusses it in this clip though, and. What really caught my attention that made me want to make a clip of this uh, talk that he did was he said in his early 20s, he's about 60 years old now, but in his early 20s when he first got to college, he was just racked with stress and stress would just uh, really mess him up. And he said he was going to make it a full-time job to manage stress. And he ended up writing a book a few years ago on all these uh, techniques and systems that he's employed to be such a mellow and cool dude. So I wanted to play a clip from Scott Adams, and perhaps he'll pick up some tricks and tips. And I think he concentrates on sleep. So let's hear from Scott Adams, and I'll be back in a, in a little while. So anxiety is different from stress. Anxiety can be that causeless thing that you're worried about and it's irrational but it's but it has um, at least a little overlap with stress in general and what I mean is if you could if you could lower your stress in general by doing all the right lifestyle stuff you're probably in better shape for handling everything else so if you've got some anxiety just normal stress reduction won't make it go away but it could lessen its effect on you so let's talk about that I treat stress reduction as a full-time job, and I have since college. Um, prior to college, I probably had more stress than I wanted, and I said to myself, you know, I I'm just going to spend all of my time getting rid of this because I hate going through the day feeling stressed or anxious or whatever. I'm going to make it my full-time job. The stress is going to go away, and I'm going to work on that. So... I, wrote, I read a book called How to Fail at Almost Everything and Still Win Big about how to create systems that can fix your fitness and your, um, your diet and your sleep and all those things. And I want to talk today about sleep, specifically. And here's the thing I want to say. People don't seem to realize that sleep is a learned skill. Some of you probably don't know that. There are some people who think that they're not good at getting to sleep and they have trouble sleeping. And there are other people who don't have trouble. But I'm here to tell you that sleeping properly is a skill and it's not something you just want. If, if all you're doing is, ah, I sure wish I slept better, but you're not doing anything differently, you don't understand how sleep works. It's a skill. And I'm going to give you the skill uh, and suggest that you make a system and of experimenting for your personal situation. So we're all a little different. So the tips I give you are close to universal, but you might need to tweak them for your own purposes. So you should experiment continuously. 
continuously. Don't ever stop finding a better way to get good sleep. So change your pillows, change your sheets, get a different mattress. Just keep, keep plugging at it. Those things might not make a difference in your case. Some cases they will, but don't stop. It's a lifelong process to get better at sleeping. It's a skill. Here are some of the things you need to know. Number one, if you can't get to sleep at night, maybe you didn't work hard enough. I know you don't want to hear that, (laughs) but in my own experience, which I'm not suggesting necessarily extends to everybody else, but in my experience, if I have uh, worked hard all day, if I have exercised that day, and that's, that's the big one, if I've physically exercised and I've worked hard, I never have trouble sleeping, period. And when I don't do enough of those two things, I do. It's pretty one-to-one correlation. So the first thing you should say to yourself is, what do I need to do with my day so that by the time I get in bed, I'm primed to sleep? If you're not active every day, at least taking a long walk, cleaning the garage, it doesn't have to be going to the gym. But if you haven't physically been active, good luck getting to sleep. Because if your body isn't uh, a little bit tired, it's not going to work for you. So the first thing you should tell yourself is if you can't sleep, maybe you didn't work hard enough. Which could have been just exercise for your own benefit. It doesn't have to be work work. Um, The next thing you need to know is that your body and your mind are sort of a, a feedback loop. So if you have some anxiety in your mind, it'll, it'll come out in your body. So your, your body will feel anxious and stressed. What happens when your body feels anxious and stressed? It feedback, feeds back to your mind. So your mind is making your body anxious. Your, your, your body is making your mind anxious, and it's just reinforcing. It's hard to get your mind to just stop. It's much easier to get your body to slow down. Because you can just exhaust it. Just exercise until your body is just exhausted. And that's one way you can break out of the loop. Because if your body is exhausted, it's it's not going to feed back the anxiety and stress so much to your brain, and then your brain won't be part of the loop anymore. Um, So that's, that's the main thing, is stop thinking it's a brain problem and start thinking of it as a physical body problem. Exhaust your body, your brain will follow. Um, Here's the next thing. Don't bring up bad topics after 8 p.m. You can adjust the 8 p.m. to whenever your normal sleep time is. But after about 8 p.m., especially if you're in a relationship, it's tempting to, let's say you haven't seen each other all day, and you want to you want to talk about these these things because it's the only time you have you know the kids are in bed or whatever. Don't do it. Just don't do it. Eight o'clock, or you know, adjust for your own situation. But after eight o'clock, don't talk about the things that are going to keep you awake. Just don't do it. Um, that's a big one. And certainly, don't have those conversations in bed after you get in bed. Definitely don't do that. Um, Here's one of my biggest, most important tips. Most of you will reject this, but I promise you it's the most important. So if if there's only one thing you want to learn, maybe the exercise is the most important, but in the top two, 
is go to is wake up and go to sleep at the same time all week. Don't want to hear that, do you? Because you want to get up, you know, when you have to go to work, you want to get up early, but then it's the weekend. You're like, oh, finally, it's the weekend. I can sleep in. There's nothing worse for your uh, sleep. And if you ruin your sleep, there's almost nothing worse except maybe diet to hurt your overall health. All right? Top rule, get up the same time Saturday and Sunday or close to it. Right. Don't do the go to bed at 3 a.m., sleep till noon thing because you like to party. It's fun. Now, I understand the younger you are, the more tempting that will be. Your social life might require it. It might be how you meet people. It might be integral to who you are. But if you do that, just know that the trade-off is you will be tired and sleepy and it will cost you everywhere else in your life. Probably not worth it. So uh, I also say that alcohol is poison. So if you're drinking, you're going to have sleep problems independent of the fact that it might keep you up late. So number one rule, get up and go to sleep approximately the same times every day of the week because if you don't turn it into a habit that your body recognizes as a habit, it's going to be tough. Got to turn it into a habit so that your body at about 9, 9 p.m., 10 p.m., is already telling you, uh, go to sleep, go to sleep. Here's one. Don't let your bed be the place that you use to not sleep. And this means several things. Don't go to bed and then start a task. Don't go to bed and do a project while you're in bed. Don't go to bed and watch TV unless you're one of those people that TV puts you to sleep. That's a different situation. Don't... Uh, don't use your bed for anything but sleeping and, of course, uh, sex. Those two things are the only things your bed should be. If you find that it's 1 a.m. in the morning and you can't sleep and, and you, you put it in the work, right? It's, you, you've tossed and turned and you're just not going to sleep, get up. Get out of bed. Get completely out of bed. Go, go sit on the couch. Go pet the dog. Go walk around. Try it again in 15 minutes. Because you want your bed to be the place that you do sleep, not the thing that you go and you toss and turn when you can't sleep. So if you know you're not going to get to sleep in the next half hour, because you you can just tell it's just not going to happen, get up. And by the way, this is what the experts recommend. I'm not not making up any of this. There's, There's nothing that I'm saying that doesn't come directly from pretty much all experts. Um, it's probably bad to be looking at your devices in bed. Put them away. I know that's tempting. But these glowing screens are just terrible for your, for your sleep. Here's another tip. You want your room to be as dark as possible, ideally completely dark. The more light there is, the less you can sleep. It's purely biological. There will be people who tell you, no, I sleep better when there's a little light on because maybe you're I don't know, afraid if it gets too dark or whatever. But I would suggest that biologically, there's probably no exception biologically, probably the darker it is, the better. So get uh, blackout curtains in your bedroom if you can. Obviously, keep away from caffeine You know, too late in the afternoon. That's going to keep you up. Temperature is important. Um, I like it cold. Other people don't. And here's another one. Um, don't, do the, don't do the list of what you do tomorrow while you're in bed. 
Never, ever get in bed and then run through what you have to do tomorrow. I, I, treat, I treat the next day as though it doesn't exist. When I go to bed, I spend zero time thinking about tomorrow. You should get in that habit. Never think about tomorrow while you're in bed. It's the worst thing you could do. Never think about your list, your chores, your anything. If you're concerned about those things, get up an hour earlier. You know, go to bed earlier and get up hour. It's a good thing to get up early, reduce your stress. You're not going to be late. Read some things, have your coffee, make your to-do list once you're fresh in the morning. That's your best thing to do. And then, as, as I said in the, the start, all of these are just starting tips. If you do these starting tips, that's just going to get you going. But this should be a lifetime of experimentation. Do you sleep better at this temperature? Do you sleep better with a, a fan on? Fan is a good sort of background sound. Do you sleep better in pajamas? Do you sleep better in this kind of sheet? Just keep at it. It's your full-time job to make sure that you don't have stress. Now, reducing your stress, as I said, doesn't get rid of you know, deep-rooted anxiety problems. But you don't want both, right? You don't want to have anxiety that you've always had all your life that's just sort of there for various situations. You don't want to add to that by being also stressed. So treat them as if they're uh, a pair of things and you don't want them working together. So if you can get rid of one, do it. All right. Uh, what if your spouse needs exact opposite of you to sleep? That's a big problem. I mean, ultimately, that's, that's a personal problem. There, uh, I will, let me tell you this. I'm going I'm to tell you something that will change the lives of a bunch of you. Percentage-wise, not that many. But a lot of you, because we're, I don't know, close to 3,000 people watching this. Uh, probably 100,000 people will watch this by the time it's done and distributed to different platforms. And of 100,000, a whole bunch of you are going to have your whole situation changed by what I tell you next. People don't talk about it because it's embarrassing. But you can see in the comments that people sleep in separate bedrooms very commonly when they're married. Very commonly. You can see it in the comments are just going crazy with people saying, uh, separate rooms, separate rooms, separate rooms. If you have the luxury, and it's totally a luxury, and one of you snores or one of you needs a different temperature or, or you sleep at different times, whatever's going on, just know, and here's the part where I'm helping you, just know that if you have a, a gathering of your best friends, you know, a bunch of couples inside a party, just look around the room. I guarantee you one-third of those people are sleeping in separate rooms and they're just not telling you because people don't like to admit that because it sounds like there's something wrong when actually it's just a better way to sleep. So simply knowing that it's a normal thing and lots of normal people do it, they just don't talk about it, just freed about 10,000 people who just said, seriously? Normal people with good relationships sometimes sleep in separate rooms? No, not sometimes, very commonly. So if you're one of those people who needs to do that, um, you, you have all the social freedom you need, you probably won't talk about it either. That's it. Okay, so that was Scott Adams. 
And I looked up his book that he wrote, and it's called How to Fail at Almost Anything and Still Win Big. And it's, uh, he shares many of the techniques and theories from his life, which he believes can increase a person's likelihood of success. But I thought that list of things that he um, shared about sleep, I can't not disagree with not one of those things. And I'm a single person. I'm in my early 50s. And I've not partnered. And I've noticed in times in my life when I am partnered in, um, I do not like to share beds what, with to sleep. And I also seem to always want to go to the bathroom. It, when there's one bathroom and you have to share it with the other person, that is extremely frustrating to have to um, uh, modify my bodily functions because somebody else is in the bathroom. So these are these are very luxurious um, uh, things. I'm trying to think of that word that they oh, um, privilege. You know, <laughs> people that are privileged have an option to sleep in separate bedrooms or to have uh, their own bathroom uh, available to them at any time. But these are wonderful things that I'm going to work toward, uh, whether I'm partnered or single, to you know have a a, a separate bedroom because <laughs> I do like to. Uh, sleep in a dark room and not be disturbed or to be woken before I want to be woken. Um, so, so the other thing from last month that I didn't get to was I discovered this thing called uh, the snake diet. And they use, it's basically a dry fasting and the only um, liquid that they drink, they, they do not drink water on the snake diet. They'll drink um, uh, mineral water which consists of um, adding, uh, so they'll drink one and a half liters of water when they're doing a fast, you know, d during the day. And um, they, they're able to, like, not have a lot of the side effects of uh, doing a fast because they're uh, maintaining their mineral content in their body. So um, look that up if you're interested in types of um, things that people do to... Uh, cheat ketosis and to go into that hyper healing state. Um, so the, yeah, the snake juice is made up of water, salt, and I think he said Himalayan pink salt, you know, like a mineral salt, uh, potassium chloride, baking soda, and magnesium sulfate. So yeah, making sure you have a lot of uh, minerals, you, you know, it makes fasting a lot less dangerous. So that's something I have uh, Stephen Buhner's book on fasting, and I've never really um, gone through it. It's just on my bookshelf, and I'd like to see what he says about uh, if you want to do a fast, whether um, you're afraid that you're going to um, be low on minerals, and then that really does lead to a lot of, um, I think, you know, fasting could, could be damaging to people. And there really is a difference of physiology physiology difference between men and women where men are definitely uh, more uh, apt to benefit from fasting. In my opinion, I think it goes back to uh, going on long hunts and just having that in our uh, genetics to be able to uh, go without food for long times during uh, times of hunting or even during times of war when they had to uh, march long distances. So I'm that is something that I'm continuing to study about. But, yeah, look it up, The Snake Diet, and he's a real character. He's on YouTube. And um, 
I'll pull, I'll pull a really funny clip because I, I laughed. I just watched a couple of the videos last month. And I was like, maybe I should share about um, talk about this on the blog talk show and see if anyone else has any experience on doing the snake diet for whether you're trying to lose weight, tonify. I'm really fascinated with um, that I'm a pretty uh, fit and thin person, but I as I, as I'm in middle age, that that adipose tissue in the middle that sort of uh, determines a lot of health. Whether you have um, a lot of that adipose uh, tissue around the belly area, and from what I understand, this uh, snake diet, where you're basically fasting and then just drink, drinking a mineral water, mineral enriched water, um, would be the easiest and quickest way to. Um, remove that, this like adipose uh, fat uh, layer from around the body. So it's something, you know, it's an ongoing investigation that I'm doing and perhaps I'll come back on the show and tell you if I've done a seven day fast and what, what it was like. I don't think I've ever done a seven day fast in my entire life. And to tell you the truth, it, it, I think without using mineral water, I think it, it is a very dangerous and reckless thing to do. So, um, so Scott's um, getting back to Scott's uh, sleep talk. He was talking about um, you know, like airing our grievances too too close to be bedtime, and that reminded me of another um talk that I heard this pe this previous month, and it was um. Uh, Tim Ferriss interviewing Brene Brown on his podcast, uh, the Tim Ferriss uh, show. And he was talking about we, as he gets older, he's a much better partner. And there's going to be times where partners that are living with one another or in a romantic relationship really have to air their grievances to one another. And he he was talking about having sort of a batch session where they, they just batch their grievances with one another. And it was really a wonderful talk. I did not pull any clips or things from it, but I think the entire talk is kind of cool to listen to. I think it's about an hour long. And there was a lot of really cool things that I heard about. Um, he was describing his partner as a clean fighter, and I never really heard that term before when it comes to, you know, verbally arguing with one another um, to be a clean fighter and not to um, pull up things that have already been resolved or already, so I, you know, the definition of not being a clean fighter, I think I tend to uh, pull out ad homonyms and insults and I'll go for the soft spots. And I was in, uh, I was attacked um, this past week and I really, I I'm not really capable of being a clean fighter, or perhaps I'm just getting better and better at it. But I still don't could not describe myself as a clean fighter. That I tend to um, explode on people. And but Tim was really describing how when him and his partner have one of these sessions, and I think they make an appointment every three months, and let's sit down, and they treat it like an official meeting where they both uh, air their grievances, and they start with sort of the compliment first, like lead with the compliment. And they would say, I want more of this. 
to tell your partner first, I want more of this, of what I really, you know, that you're something that you're already doing that I love. And I love that because I, from my working Toastmasters and how to uh, do critiques of other people's public speaking, they, they often talk about sandwiching uh, negative criticism in between, you know, two forms of positive criticism. And it makes it a lot easier, you know, a little sugar makes the medicine go down, you know, that you always want to keep your negative criticism of a person um, encased in positivity and, you know, something that's going to put them at ease and give them comfort. So these are things that I'm learning and, you know, excited to, you know, put into practice. Um, yeah, I'm really into it. So I don't know how, where, where else. So I guess that that's sort of my old business from last month's show that I felt like, hmm, I, maybe I should have got to that stuff. And I didn't, I just wanted to end the show early and, and jump off the air. So let's start with this month's. I just got back from visiting some friends in Florida. And one of these friends I've talked to quite regularly. Not, I don't know about quite regularly, but not a year goes by that we don't have a long conversation on the phone. We do stay in touch and we know what's going on with one another, but it was just really wonderful to be with this person. And we've not been, we've not had an in-person meeting. We're old friends from over 20 years ago. We've not seen each other, I think, for 14 years in person. We've always stayed in touch. When we've moved, we've given each other our new addresses, but we've not had the opportunity to just hang out and have dinner and it's just really cool to, um, I explained to them in the past 14 years sort of like what I was doing uh, and I was talking about how I'm studying herbal medicine and they were talking about how when they turned 60 that they got really bad, um, I don't know if you're trying to use another word besides bad, but um, well, just really bad uh, allergies, you know, the seasonal allergies, and they never had them in their life. And it's quite, uh, I'm trying to think of another word that would describe bad allergies, something that you can't ignore. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people have seasonal allergies that are easy to ignore. And some people cannot ignore their seasonal allergies. It's going to really affect them. And uh, hold them back and cause them a lot of discomfort. And they were saying that they're working with local honeys. So they have like three different kinds of honeys. I think they have wildflower, orange blossom, and palmetto flower honey. And they rotate through these honeys. And it's improved their allergy symptoms. And they're just going to continue with it. And I'm really curious about this type of, quote, uh, cure uh, of using honeys. And it just came reminded me about how when we use these uh, herbal infusions, how we sort of rotate. We'll drink a different one each day. I'll drink today. I'm drinking nettles, and probably tomorrow I'll drink another one like red clover or linden blossoms. And the lady that I'm learning how to make CBD medicines from, she makes these medicines uh, once a month, and there's different plant materials that she'll use every month. She she uses a uh, CBD cannabis and a high THC cannabis, and she'll extract both uh, using uh, MCT oil now. 
Uh, she was using a coconut. It was just too too difficult to keep it uh, liquid. Um, they, she would have to use a lot of olive oil. But so I suppose um, the MCT seems to be the cutting edge. So this is what I'm, from what I'm understanding, when you use different plant material, you're going to get different cannabinoids, even if it's the same type of, um, uh, say, even if you're using a cloned plant with the same exact genetics, you're going to be harvesting these um, plants at a different time of the year. Uh, perhaps you'll be drying them at different uh, lengths of time. Uh, the plant materials are always going to be different. The cannabinoids of these plants are always going to be different. Sometimes you'll have more of, say, CBG, which is a cannabinoid, which is getting a lot of attention lately. And um, I find that really cool. So um, she'll make these every month, and she has a, a number of people that come and pick up their one-ounce bottle of uh, CBD tinctures, and she also makes these wonderful salves that are just wonderful for uh, muscle pain and also for, like, wounds. Uh, any kind of like rashes, it just what um trying to think of a, that word that they use uh, something that seems to work for a, a number of things, a panacea, yeah. But these um CBD sash seems to be quite a panacea. Um, if anybody wants to call in and talk about these things, so I mentioned I think on the other sh on the last show that yeah I'm working for someone who's making. Uh, local medicines, and I don't think we're really licensed to uh, ship outside of, I think it's pretty much um, sort of done um, just really at a low economic thing. I I don't even know if they want to be publicized uh, yet until these um, legal things are worked out. It's basically just a real local business where people word of mouth, uh, hey, you make uh, CBD tinctures? Uh, yeah, can I try yours? So, so she has a number of people that will come up, come and pick up their uh, CBD tincture, and it will be slightly different from the one that they got the previous month. And a lot of people are finding out that perhaps if you are using a CBD tincture uh, every day, several times a day, to uh, alternate between different ones, and that seems to be a lot more helpful to not be using the same exact uh, strength or, you know, cannabinoid profile all the time, every time. I don't know if it just stops working or perhaps uh, there's just different levels. That whole, uh, what they call the entourage effect, how their different things affect different things. <laughs> you know, the sum of the whole of... THC plus the CBD, CBG, THCA, THCV, all these different things seem to do work in a big, um, giant uh, symphony. And that, that I've noticed, too, that um, even with the powdered lion's mane mushrooms that I use, I'll use, I think, two or three different uh, prepared products, you know, that are basically the same product, powdered lion's mane mushroom. And I find it is more helpful to just keep, you know, have three different kinds and use a different kind every day. I find that uh, that the lion's mane mushroom really, I can tell a difference even if I stop using it for one day. I just feel a little bit less sharp and... Uh, 
there is a lot of studies that show that when you stop using lion's mane, a lot of the benefits that build up eventually do go away. And it's really fascinating how a lot of these therapies that seem to last a long time, like even these stem cell therapies, they'll, a person will need uh, like a knee replacement and they'll use a stem cell therapy and eight months later, they'll go in for a scan and they do not need a knee replacement. Uh, anymore that their body actually healed something like that, something so physical. And I'm just really optimistic that there's a lot of different technologies that are coming out. But from what I understand, that um, they've done long-term things, especially with people with Parkinson's. And the p people with Parkinson's that have used like a stem cell therapy and it really affected, you know, and quote, I'm going to use the word uh, quotes again, cured their Parkinson's. It does tend to have uh, a time frame. You know, wow, it, it lasted for like 15 years for this one person that was like cured of par Parkinson's. And then the Parkinson's uh, symptoms did uh, eventually return after I think 15 years. And I'm trying to think of, um, I think it may have been uh, a recent, uh, yeah, it was a recent uh, Joe Rogan show with an anti-aging expert. His name was Aubrey de Grey. So that is, if you're interested in anti-aging technologies and stem cells and things like that, that is an interesting show. So opening up this can of worms, the Joe Rogan uh, podcast, I hear so many wonderful things on that show. I don't listen to every single episode, but at least... Every month, there's one, two, three of the episodes that, like, wow, really make me think. And uh, that that Aubrey de Grey from last last week was a pretty pretty good one. <laughs> and um, so I um, also yeah, so I've been talking about so rotating our herbal remedies is just something that I think just herbalists do that. Not too sure how, how much to add to that, but I encourage anyone listening to, if you've not been rotating your remedies, even your everyday herbs that you like to use, like your adaptogens and things, to um, you know, give one a break and just kind of like feel it out. Uh, I really enjoy using rhodiola rosea, but oftentimes I will stop using it for a few weeks and then go back to using it uh, daily. And this last trip that I took, I really was quite uh, benefited from not using the rhodiola, but from using uh, the hypericum perforatum uh, tincture from the fresh flower tops. And I think I used over a one-week period, I used one full, I think it might have been two full ounces of it. And I just kept nipping it when I was in an airport up at elevated um I, I did tend to get a little bit of a travel cold on the road. So the Hypericum perforatum really, I don't know, for me it does really, you know, it, it does seem to have an immunity thing. It's supposedly antiviral. And, uh, yeah, it's a, a mood regulator. So I've been really pretty happy about having um, uh, access to uh, homemade Hypericum perforatum, and 
I've not been able to find a commercial hypericum perforatum that is as good as uh, going out and wildcrafting my own and letting it tincture in a, in a jar and 100 proof vodka for a full year. I've not been able to find a commercial product that does that. So hopefully um, if you'd like to uh, try hypericum that you will learn about St. John's wort or St. Joan's wort and it usually grows in the northeast United States and I think I've seen it in, yeah, I've only seen it in the Northeast United States, but perhaps I need to travel around in, in June and July. And um, I may be taking a trip this July, so perhaps I'll be able to uh, wildcraft some more this year. But I think I may have a full two years worth that I collected last year. So, um, yeah, so I've been thinking a lot about off the grid, on the grid, uh, Remember the old Grateful Dead culture, they used to always say you're either on the bus or you're off the bus. And um, in this day and age, it seems like our, we're all on the grid. We're all uh, carrying around a phone that's tracking us all the time and collecting our data. And I really like to approach it from um, that this is not going to hurt me and it is all voluntary. And I think it is wild, though, to think, uh, oh, yeah, that's what I was going to start with the Joe Rogan that I heard the other, the other day. So the guest was Michael Yo, and he was just a fellow comedian. They were just shooting the shit for two or three hours together. And they were talking about Elon Musk's, one of his uh, companies is called Neuralink, and they're really going for on the grid to, like, the next level of just having this telephone that we're speaking in and dumping our thoughts in all day, they're, they're jumping right into having a device that puts wires in your head and you're going to be able to offload your thoughts directly into the device without writing or saying anything. And I look at something like that as perhaps uh, in its early stages, perhaps a device with that has wires that go into my head would remind me to it would be monitoring my stress levels, and it would it would give me um, a buzzer to be able to meditate more regularly and to calm myself more regularly. And it would be just I, I'm sure that could be accomplished by having some kind of app on my phone that would vibrate in my pocket. But I guess um, there's some people that don't want to carry a phone, so they're more happy with having <laughs> wires inserted into in, into their head. You know, so. That is really pretty pretty wild, and I'm not quite like scared of it. You know, I think people are gonna just. I think most of. I think I'll be a late adopter of that, <laughs> but I'm really curious to see the benefits that it's gonna give people that type of technology. But I think the company is called Neuralink, and I've not really looked at it. Um, to too closely, but um, it, it sounds pretty cool, and I, I kind of really like Elon Musk. Whenever I've seen him talk and have conversations, he, he is a pretty brilliant person. I haven't gotten a chance to even test drive a Tesla yet, but it sounds to be quite an experience, and um, it's really cool, though, to think that a lot of these technologies, like self-driving cars and wires that go into our head, are already here. They're already here, 
and it's not science fiction. It's not people dreaming. And um, yeah, pretty, I really enjoy technology, but I really want to um, always have the option to pull away and to, you know, just completely unplug from it all. And I, I love the area of the country I live in. We have like one FM radio station. Um, like the radio frequencies where I live, it's just, they're few and far between. I don't think there's any AM radio stations where I live. It's just that one FM station. And um, there's limited um, bars on my phone right now. I guess there's two bars on my phone right now. So I do have cell phone coverage. But, um, so I guess when it comes to being on the grid or off the grid, I don't really think there's much uh, people find where they're comfortable and everybody has their different comfort level. Uh, what I've been concentrating on lately, though, is my interface with technology. And the interface is uh, the, the way I, you know, the actual... I guess the interface, I have to try to define interface. So my keyboard for my laptop that's in front of me right now is my interface. And I was experimenting with different keyboards. And I found one from the company Lenovo. And it was absolutely so centrally beautiful. Like, wow. Like the, the key, the way the keys felt when I was typing uh, the spacing of the keys and everything. It's just absolutely like, wow, what a dream. This reminds me of the keyboards that I used when I typed on IBM Selectrics or an early, um, you know, workstations that I worked on in the old days where there was a more tactile keyboard that gave you a little bit more uh, feeling. So it, it was unfortunate because I tried this Lenovo keyboard and I used the, c the control key in the lower in the lower left corner and they moved the control key. They flipped it with the function key, and for some reason there was no possible way for me to use software to change that the you know the you know to put the control key back in the lower left corner. And I don't know why that company did that because it pretty much is a standard thing and I kind of really appreciate kind of the European Union for um, kind of mandating some of these companies to um, you know standardize their charger cables and perhaps <laughs> some of our governments can you know really help these industries along because they're not doing it themselves to um, you know just make a standard keyboard with this with the buttons all you know the control key from what I need and what I've been using for over 30 years the control key is always in the lower left corner so that was kind of a deal breaker and the Lenovo company was really wonderful they gave me uh, free shipping to ship it right back to them and they promptly gave me a refund and I was able to try out their keyboard for free but it was really I felt kind of kind of sorry that I couldn't, you know, use all the things that I liked about the keyboard because that control key really was a deal breaker. So, so yeah, off the grid, on the grid, standalone or grid connected. And um, 
yeah, I think um, I have a friend who has one of these Tesla uh, off quote um, off the grid hybrid on the grid uh, electrical solar systems, and it's kind of fascinating to think that uh, it, it, the software was updated by satellite. So um, these Tesla home solar systems. It's a humongous battery. I think it's called the power wall, the, where the solar energy is stored. And it's a lithium-ion uh, battery array. And the software is connected to a satellite uplink, and, or, and, uplink and downlink. So I think his, his data is being harvested. He's using, he's contributing, um, you know, so that is a fascinating thing, though, that a lot of these companies are collecting data, and which is very valuable on, on different levels. So that is really something to think um, about how Tesla is using people's data. But I thought it was so ironic because his, his solar system failed to work for a full week because uh, the software was updated automatically and it just stopped working. And uh, just pretty... You know, you would think that a solar system would give you complete independence away from anybody telling you when you have electricity or not. And fortunately, he, he, he's also connected to the grid, the power grid, so he did still have electricity. But it, it, it's interesting to think that you could have an off-grid solar power system and somebody using, sat, you know, a satellite uh, software update can just deactivate your entire electrical system for your home. And um, so I don't know if I'm going to ever want to invest in something like that that would have that much um, control over the electricity that I use or generate. Um, so that is something I wanted to talk about. So I think I'm almost done. I don't have many... Uh, yeah, I don't have any other uh, clips that I pulled for this week's show. Almost an hour up. So the gelatins, I'm really fascinated that a lot of people have uh, gut health problems. And when they work on their gut health, they stop uh, using a lot of refined sugars. Some people's gut health improves often when they stop using wheat and different grains. And the other thing that's fascinating is um, a lot of people who've had you know, like gut health problems um, had to remove certain gelatins that were in like processed foods that they were eating. And I find that really interesting that um, these synthesized gelatins that I think most of them that are harmful to some people are from veg vegetable sources. I've never heard of the meat gelatins. Um, hurting people's guts. But that one that seems to be coming up over and over again is called carrageenan, and I think it's also called other things. So it's something I'm researching, and I actually heard um, when I was watching those snake diet on YouTube, and someone asked him about using... Um, the minerals in a capsule, in a gelatin capsule, and then just swallowing them. And he was like, absolutely do not do that. Someone that did that, they fasted, and they thought that they could take their minerals in 
uh, in a gelatin capsule actually burned a hole in their stomach. So again, um, Susan Weed's uh, caution and um, to not take supplements and herbs inside pills to allow, I'm going to add my part, I think having our taste buds involved with whatever we put into our body is kind of important and it adds to our feeling sense whether what we're putting in our bodies is going to be harmful or not. Uh, I've been using some supplements but I along I use some vitamin E and some CoQ10 and I always um, bite, the, bite the capsules and squirt it into some juice when I take it. And um, I don't know about um, vitamin E and the, a lot of the information that came out about vitamin E was in the late 90s and it had to do with meta studies and I think it also had to do with the way it was being produced in the uh, 80s and early 90s. It was used in a, in a synthetic version. And I think the synthetic version of vitamin D would be DL uh, dash and then the different tocopherols. So there's a, like a gamma tocopherol and beta, you know, alpha, all different. So having a, I use a, like a mixed tocopherol because for some reason I've um, always found it to be very anti-inflammatory and very energizing when I feel that last night for instance I was really overtired and I could just feel my body like whoa so um, um, so I yeah I had some CoQ10 and vitamin E and I woke up and I felt really good I am sort of still on an East Coast time frame I had a really good time in Florida and I lived in Florida for over 20 years and I always going to have some roots there so I think I've gone through everything that I want to talk about on this and on this month's um, People's Medicine show. I'm going to check to see if there's any callers. No, nope. no callers. But um, yeah, I'm really interested in some of the. Oh yeah, let's get to the horse race of American politics. So I am not. Oh wow, here we go. Yeah, wow. Isn't that funny that I, wasn't, I was just going to skip over talking about politics? So I'm not a sports fan. A lot of people really enjoy sports and talking about sports, and I have absolutely no interest in you know, professional sports or spectator sports. I cannot really even think of it. I remember a few times when I was drinking back uh, 10, 15 years ago. I loved uh, hanging out with Europeans when they watched cricket. That was a lot of fun, but actually to know these games and to feel excited. I am, you know, I do enjoy watching people watch sports and to be around people while they enjoy watching sports. But me, myself, I've never had an interest in sports. But when it comes to politics, wow. This um, past month during all the primary things, I was like glued to um, a, lot, a lot of different things. And I've discovered I enjoyed this um a website called The Hill, and they make YouTube videos, and one of the commentators' name is Crystal Ball, Crystal with a K, and uh, I enjoy watching her on YouTube every now and then, talk about uh, her spin on politics. I'm also a fan of um, RT, Russia Today, and their American uh, media station, and I think it really is amazing, some of these, you know, I 
I am very much interested in media and the way the media is deliberately trying to influence people and how it seems that um, there's two main contenders in the Democratic primary right now. And it seems like white women are calling the shots on who's going to get the nomination. And I'm not too sure what to, what to think of that. But I am watching Twitter, and I'm not even sure if these people are white women. I think maybe it's being portrayed that way to me, that, yeah, these are all white women in their 40s and 50s who are going to pretty much decide the Democratic primary this year. But that seems to be the message, and I don't know whether to believe it or not. But I, many people think that uh, Hillary Clinton was the nominee because she had uh, a majority of white women um, you know, supporting her throughout the uh, 2016 primary. So I'm just really not too sure whether, um, you know, I don't think, you know, I don't know if I really want to discuss politics too much more, but I really enjoy watching it all. And I think it's cool that people want to participate and show up and vote in the primaries. And it's so cool to see that a lot of um the initial polling is very much uh, accurate. You know, when, when the votes are cast, uh, a lot of the polling is accurate. And I do think that, um, all right, I'm going to just say it. I think in the general election against Donald Trump, that I think Bernie Sanders has a better chance than any of the other candidates. But um, that's based on my, um, you know, looking at... Um, the polling agencies that have done the polling in the red states, the states that want to keep their assault weapons. And it is really cool to think that there are people who are, I don't know if they're one-issue voters, but if a person wants to outlaw assault weapons on a federal level, they would never vote for that person. And uh, there's people that also... <laughs> would never vote for someone that would that would um, choose Supreme Court justices that would limit uh, access to abortion. And I'm not too sure what to think of that. I think I really, I think I am sort of a state's rights person. There's always going to be those states where abortion is hard to get and people are going to have to get on Greyhound buses to get, to get them, to get, to get a medical procedure, you know, and I, I really like that meme that abortion is health care and it's the only health care procedure that uh, people actually want to legislate laws against. And um, I'm not too sure what, what to think, you know, that um, how the future Supreme Court will decide on um, these states that want to limit people's access to abortion. And, uh, but anyway, I, I really enjoyed, so yeah, so that whole analogy that I'm not a sports fan, but I really enjoy politics really made me laugh my ass off last night because I was watching, I think, the latest episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, and one of the characters on the show was a big-time New York Jets fan, and the New York Jets haven't won since, like, 1969, and they've been dis they've been disappointed year after year after year and 
they were briefly, uh, uh, you know, not disappointed, I think, in 1998, and then following that, the New York Jets have just continued to disappoint their fans and never have won or really even made the playoffs. And I thought it was kind of a funny analogy because I think there are people that are always going to be voting voting for the New York Jets and year after year after year. And so the character on the show actually killed themselves because the Jets, you know, they... So I thought that was a really cool way of looking. I think there was some trickiness going on because I don't think the show is a comedy and they're going to stay away from politics, so they're going to fool around. I think I think that was just a genius way of looking at, like, people who are on the losing side of politics. Um, perhaps, you know, don't kill yourself over it when your candidate loses. But, um, yeah, it's really something, though, because I've I think... I've been uh, pretty much a leftist my whole life. I think there was a brief time in the 80s where I was kind of like uh, a little bit of a right winger. But I think I think overall I would describe myself as a free thinker. And I am kind of um, impressed with the United States of America, the way it was set up from the get-go to have, you know, it was set up right in the Constitution to do a national census every 10 years and um, I'm really sorry to see that you know a lot of um, our political system um, is broken because we're not taking that census every 10 years and really trying to count people and figure people out that there's a lot of poor people in this country who are not being counted and they're not um, they're afraid to be counted they think they're going to be deported and uh, punished so they're hiding from the census, and I think, you know, a lot of this wonderful technology that we have today uh, could be better used if we really knew, um, if we had more of this information of, like, um, how many how many poor people live in the, south, uh, the southwest portion of the United States uh, compared to the northeast portion of the United States. I think there's a lot more... Uh, people that are really uh, struggling to get health care, housing, and education. And um, a lot of people are really without a clue of how much people are suffering right now. And um, I, I think oftentimes, too, you know, that being led by an attitude of scarcity, that there's not enough health care to go around. Yet, at the same time, if health care was free, and totally easy to get, would people be over-treating their diseases and hurting themselves? Because um, oftentimes you, you'll hear about people, they'll hurt themselves by over-treating them, themselves. They'll go in for these invasive procedures, and they did it because they had access to it. And perhaps um, some people's lives are being saved because they don't have access, but is that a reason to not give poor people access to adequate health care? And I guess we have to make the, make up these definitions of what is adequate health care, adequate basic health care that people. And I think that right now um, there is access to adequate basic health care. Like if you go into an emergency room anywhere in the United States, uh, they're legally obligated to treat you, and they're not going to um, not treat you. I think that, you know, that we already do have access to adequate health care. Now, 
are there consequences to that? Will that bankrupt you and will that ruin your life on a lot of different levels if you accept um, the health care that you needed at the time? Yeah, and that's these are things that uh, people are looking at. But, um, so I think I talked I talked about politics, to, you know, to the point where I don't think I'm being too too obnoxious and annoying with it. But um, I'm really kind of psyched to see uh, how things are much different than they were four years ago, and yet. When it comes to the media and uh, the message that the media is sort of putting upon, putting out there, it just seems very much they've upped their game quite a bit in four years. So, yeah, I think the last thing that I've seen, uh, I'm seeing on my bullet list, is the dust masks and how people with the coronavirus are all wearing these dust masks. I'm... I'm Maybe I'm exaggerating by saying people are all wearing them, but I'm seeing a lot more people wearing dust masks. And um, that's what exactly what they are. They're helpful to uh, prevent dust, dust from going into your mouth and, and nose. Uh, are they helpful from keeping airborne viruses from going into your eyes? Um, I don't, you know what I mean? It's yet to be seen how much uh, these dust masks are protecting people. I think the the basics of not touching your face and washing your hands when you're touching a lot of things out in public where hundreds or thousands of other people have touched these things, uh, we really just can just use, I hate to use that word common sense, but um, yeah, these common practices that uh, a lot of us have grown up with to uh, wash your hands several times a day. Be careful about touching your, your mouth and nose and eyes. And as herbalists, I think it's wonderful that we have a lot of these uh, immune uh, strengthening herbs like astragalus that we can use regularly and we can keep our white blood cells just really happy. I'm a, fa I'm a fan of um, using cat's claw tea every now and then and that's proven to uh, raise, raise a lot of white blood cell count. And I'm not really opposed to um, catching the flu every now and then. I always, I often feel really wonderfully healthy after I have a cold. And uh, I don't want to, uh, i got to be careful what I pray for. I don't want to get sick, but I get sick maybe once or twice a year. And it doesn't seem to go on and on for months and months. And I'm hoping as I grow older that my immune system does stay really um juicy and supercharged and I think that's you know I am blessed and perhaps I've been blessed from the get-go because I was well nourished as a child I did not experience starvation uh, or you know malnourishment and I think um, you know malnourishment is a, is a big factor in whether people will die from the coronavirus or not die that uh, we have to continually just strengthen and nourish it, nourish ourselves and um, that is the number one way to just keep our immune systems happy and healthy. And uh, even when we're not blessed with really good genetics, uh, it's the study of epigenetics, I think that's the word, that we can actually improve our genetics by uh, healthy and positive living and um, continuously nourishing ourselves and having uh, disciplines and routines and foods and varieties uh, coming into our bodies and making us 
happy and all healthy. So I think that's basically, I think I've covered everything I want to say. And I guess tonight's show is even shorter than, than last month's uh, People's Medicine show. I'm not seeing any call-ins, but if you'd like to contribute to the show, if you want me to drop some clips, uh, I'm good at, um, you know, making any kind of YouTubes. And so if you have any clips that you'd like me to play on the show and share with this audience, uh, please uh, send me a note at People's Medicine, People's Medicine Show at gmail.com. And my name's Sean. I have uh, a Facebook page that I, uh, I announce the show every month. Uh, my name is spelled S-E-A-N. M-U-R-N-I-N. You can find me on Facebook and follow me publicly. If you know me in person, go ahead and friend request me or send me a note saying you know me. I've, um, yeah, I've kind of like backed away from just trying to meet too many anonymous people online, but I would love to hear from you by email and tell me something you'd like me to share on the show. I think, um, yeah, the slideshow that I have for this month's show is really kind of cool, though. There's a, a few little... You know, like when I'm talking about the way that tone policing uh, kind of trumps, like people not uh, really examining anything, the, con the um, content of whatever anyone's saying because they're really uh, bothered by a person's tone or they're afraid of a person that is expressing anger. And I think there is a lot of um, broken people. And I think um, there are people that uh, do not want to be exposed to any form of anger. And they're, they're going to just react in an opposite direction. And I think that's kind of um, the reason why a lot of people do not want to vote for Bernie Sanders. Because a lot of the people supporting Bernie Sanders are expressing themselves in an angry and hostile way that they don't, that they just cannot get past. And um, it's not the actual, you know, ideals that uh, that are being expressed by Bernie Sanders, but the tone of uh, the supporters and the tone of Bernie Sanders' voice and just the way he looks and just um, the emotions that people feel when um, they don't not they're not going to ever vote for Bernie Sanders and they're going to stay home if he's the um, candidate. I'm seeing a lot of people express themselves that, but in my day-to-day -day life, I think a lot of, most most people that I meet in my day-to-day -day life really don't have an opinion about these things. And I think me going on Twitter and looking at the, or listening to the Chapo Trap House uh, podcast, I think these are very much on. Um, a minority of um, people who are voting, so I should kind of remain optimistic and not make too many firm judgments, but this is the way things are um, appearing to me that, um, that I'm going to say it, uh, white feminist women uh, do not seem to like Bernie Sanders. And uh, uh, when they tell the reason they do not like it, it has to do with their tone and their feelings and their emotions. And not that they actually think that, uh, you know, universal health care would bankrupt our country and um, stop the medical monopoly um, that the pharmaceutical and medical industry have on things and, you know, 
I think um, the monopoly that's going on right now is keeping doctors from practicing medicine the way they want to practice medicine because there's a lot of different uh, people who are benefiting. Uh, the whole malpractice industry is benefiting from not having universal health care. And, um, yeah, definitely the extremely high-priced uh, pharmaceuticals that they charge what they think they can get away with charging, not what is reasonable and fair. And I think it, it is kind of interesting to think that, yeah, um, perhaps our medical system does need a little bit more authoritarianism. And um, that's, I suppose, what universal health care would be. It would be injecting more authoritarianism from that viewpoint instead of having the insurance companies impose their authoritarianism. Um, so it would kind of like trump the authoritarianism of... Um, so these are just the thoughts that I'm having about, you know, we're, we are being bossed around when it comes to um, our doctors and our care, and we're being told this is, um, these are our choices. If we need to use these doctors, um, you know, and I think a lot of more people uh, would like to try to, to go to a new job, but their families uh, depend on them to keep their health insurance active and they're never able to, um, you know, they never have that freedom to be able to um, move move their job because they're so tied into their uh, medical benefits. So it is really interesting, though, to hear people and, you know, express their viewpoints of why they wouldn't want uh, poor people to have, um, you know, basic, adequate, you know, access to health care. And like I said, um, I don't know. You know, I, I shouldn't say I don't know. I, um, after I just spoke a, a lot about that, so perhaps I'll have this all a little bit more fleshed out next month. So I've had a great time doing the show tonight. I think I've spoken about everything that I really wanted to talk about. Oh uh, yeah, the tone policing though. That really is interesting. How uh, policing people's tones and having the right tone is very, very important to some people, it appears. It appears. <laughs> so, I think I would have been very disappointed if I forgot to talk about the tone policing and how it affects um, people's politics and uh, the candidates that they're, they're choosing to support, whether they like their tone and whether they uh, receive a favorable emotional response. <laughs> um, so I'm going to uh, say goodbye for this month. I should be back next month in April on the first Thursday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So let's end the show with the uh, same song, but we'll do a different version of Lucas Nelson. 